Happy Halloween, or belated Halloween, ladies and gentlemen, wherever or whenever you are. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlow. Well, the 2019 NFL season has quickly and eerily reached its midway point, and for all the bottom-feeding teams currently in chaos, and all those talented teams struggling for those playoff spots, especially in the stacked NFC, this is a rather spooky time for most of the league. Wouldn't you say so, Hellbent? I would definitely agree, David. Yes, uh, uh, outside of like uh, maybe the Patriots, the 49ers, the Saints, and if not the Packers, uh, it's a scary time for the rest of the league because I think outside of those four, I would guarantee none of them a playoff spot. Yeah, things are very, very fluid. And for the NFL itself, well, that's the parity they like to see. But very confusing times. We've got a lot of teams that bouncing back from injuries, inconsistent play, uh, just can't seem to string things together on a week-by-week basis. Oh, you said it, partner. And if those uh, teams outside those top four don't feel as spooks right now, they're even more in danger of missing the playoffs. So we hope you're listening, all those other teams. And uh, let's talk about our main takeaways from week eight. And I'll go first. As Herm Edwards famously said, you play to win the game. And he obviously said it in Halloween-type fashion at that press conference. It did, did, did it sound that way? You play to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a major disappointment that many teams, even in this new, uber-aggressive, offensive-centric NFL, still don't get the point. Matt Nagy, why? Why did oh. you take a knee oh. with 43 seconds left and one timeout left? Why are the game more yards to make the game-winning field goal attempt a lot easier? Broncos offensive coordinator Rich Scagarello, why? Why run a predictable draw? At third and five, rather than go for the kill to get the first down to ice the game. And Andy Reid, you're so much better than this, Andy Reid. On a night when your defense struggled to contain Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, for that matter, and when Matt Moore played very efficient football in place of Patrick Mahomes, why did you punt? At fourth and three near midfield with three minutes left in the game. I just don't get it. Why do so many teams keep on ignoring Herb Edwards' advice? You play to win the game. Oh, David, I'm telling you, that, that Andy Reid one especially killed me. You give the ball back. Aaron Rodgers, you give him the ball back with your offense. I don't care who's at quarterback. I don't care if Reid's back there himself at quarterback. You have got you're at the 48 line there's five minutes to play it's fourth and three and he doesn't have something that he can dial up for four yards with all that talent on offense disgusting yes and Matt Nagy I'll return to him I don't care how suspect Mitchell Trubisky is Eddie Pinheiro missed a similar field goal early in the game get more yards and make that attempt easier oh that was so frustrating to see because watching it live on it just seemed like they they were confused. It was like I, I was talking to my friends and I'm saying, do they, are they do they realize they're not at the ten yard line? They they need to get closer. Like this isn't a gimme. This has come back and bit you before in the past, and you learned nothing. Oh, frustrating. Yes, I understand the risk of giving that to Aaron Rodgers, but the Broncos. You shouldn't care who the quarterback on the other team is, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, Aaron Rodgers, or even Matt Moore. You do not 
give them another chance to roll the dice because the more dice rolls you give another team, it'll eventually turn up double sixes no matter how good your defense is played during the day. You still play to win the game regardless of circumstances. Agreed, agreed. It was three egregious examples of just the poor coaching, poor decision-making in the NFL last week. And if I'm an owner of one of those three teams, that's one more check mark that's in the negative column, watching my coaches continue to make those kinds of mistakes. And what was your big takeaway from Week 8? My big takeaway, number one, welcome back, Drew Brees. Talk about coming back with a bang, 373 yards, three touchdowns, a dominant performance, looked like he hadn't missed a beat. And all of us who were wondering, Gee, do the Saints, uh, boy, I don't know, how do you pull out Teddy Bridgewater? Drew Brees made, it, made us just look ridiculous in that regard. He's back. He belongs back. And the other standout takeaway that I, you know, remember when the Super Bowl last year where the Rams could only muster three points, and the biggest, biggest reason was they were missing one key player, and that was Cooper Cup. And he showed his value to that team last week with that scintillating 220 yards on just seven receptions. He was just uncoverable. It was a command performance for him. I don't care that it's over Cincinnati. It was still a great performance, and it shows his value to that offense and how he could be that one big, big game changer that the Rams were missing in the Super Bowl last year. You hit it on the head twice there, Hal Bed. And speaking of uh, Cooper Cup and Drew Brees, it's time to hand out our midseason award, starting with MVP through midseason. Who is your most valuable player in the NFL so far, Hal Bed? That is a tough, tough call. You know, I mean, until he got hurt, you know, it was easy to go with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, you, you almost want to nominate the entire defense in San Francisco. And But I, I'm going to have to go with Aaron Rodgers. I think as far as most valuable, I mean, I didn't see the Packers sitting at 7-1. and one. I saw him sitting at 7-9 and nine for this season. So the way that he's come out, the way that he's been able to mesh with his new head coach and the new offensive system for both him and Matt LaFleur to, to give a little, um, lean on that defense. Um, and then as we always see with Aaron Rodgers, he just, Finds a way time after time, brutally efficient, does not make the mistakes when he can't make a mistake. Uh, I'm going with Aaron Rodgers as my midseason MVP. There's the simpatico alert. We are simpatico here, my friend. I got Aaron Rodgers as my midseason MVP as well. After that uh, inexplicable loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in week four, and subsequently losing Devontae Adams after that. I thought the Packers were in big trouble after that. But Aaron Rodgers, like he has done so many times before, he is the rising tide that lifts all boats. He has gotten by without one of the most dangerous receivers in the NFL and has played even better football these past four weeks than he did the first four weeks of the season. Like, Marcus Valdez-Scantling still has to take that next step. Geronimo Allison is just a guy. And uh, Jimmy Graham, he might have a couple big plays left in him per game, but he's still gotten very old and he's not the Jimmy Graham that we saw in New Orleans. 
And so what does he do? He, he thankfully has a running game right now to help him out, but he is getting big plays out of all of these guys, whether it be Jake Kumaro or Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Geronimo Allison or whoever he finds in that pass game. Robert Tanyan even. Aaron Rodgers just always seems to turn all these molds of clay into stars and how he's been able to do it without Devontae Adams has been nothing short of masterful. He is still the reason the Green Bay Packers sit pretty at 7-1, easily the MVP at midseason. For Offensive Player of the Year, I'm going to stay in the NFC North and give it to Dalvin Cook. L- like I said, Dalvin Cook, he was bitten by the injury bug in the worst possible way his first two seasons in the NFL, and now he is playing like the star we all hoped he would be, and then some. He is currently the leading rusher in the NFL, and he, as good as Kirk Cousins is playing right now, Dalvin Cook is the straw that stirs the drink that is the Minnesota Vikings offense, and with him playing good, that perfectly complements that amazing defense in Minnesota, and that's why the Vikings are a dangerous threat to the Packers in the NFC North, and perhaps in the whole NFC as well, so the Vikings aren't a team to sleep on at all, when it comes to contending for a Super Bowl this season, and Dalvin Cook is arguably the biggest reason why. Who is your offensive player of the year at midseason? You know, I'd, I'd love to go along with you on that because Dalvin Cook is definitely deserving of, but my runner-up MVP, I, I can't discount him here. Uh, I got to give him the offensive player of the year. That's Russell Wilson out in Seattle. What a great season he has had carrying this team. Um, you know, completing almost 70% of his passes, leading the league with touchdown passes, 17 touchdowns, only one interception, leads the league in quarterback rating, and just does so much with an offense with such young players he's leaning on. You know, DK Metcalf, Will Disley before he got hurt at tight end. I mean, other than Tyler Lockett, the receiving core was a bunch of question marks, and he just keeps performing and performing and driving his team into the playoff picture. So offensive player of the year, putting up those ridiculous numbers still goes to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has a very, very solid case for offensive player of the year as well. And defensive player of the year, this was a tough decision. I was going to go with the guy who I nominated for one of our later awards for this honor, But at the same time, I just couldn't leave a guy out on one of the best defenses in the NFL, and that is Stephon Gilmore of the New England Patriots. Like, if Julian Edelman hadn't won MVP of Super Bowl 53, Stephon Gilmore would have been my MVP, and Stephon Gilmore's playing even better this season than he did in the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. And Stephon Gilmore, look at his career trajectory. He was the 10th overall pick in the 2012 draft, picked by the Buffalo Bills. He underachieved constantly in Buffalo, and then Bill Belichick uh, scooped him up for a relatively below-market deal, and now he is playing like the Stephon Gilmore everybody thought he would be once he got drafted. Bill Belichick working his magic again, but you got to give credit to all the hard work Stephon Gilmore has put in ever since he set foot in New England. So Stephon Gilmore is my midseason Defensive Player of the Year. What say you, Hal Bent? I tell you, I, I love Gilly Locke more than anyone. I mean, what a superstar he has turned into. I'm not sure I can even go with him as the most valuable defensive player, defensive player of the year on his own team, but I'm going to stick with where I was at a quarter mark. I know his production slowed down a little with a little extra attention, but still 10 sacks, Shaq Barrett and Tampa Bay, one man wrecking crew on that defense. He doesn't have any pass rush other than him 
if you're counting on William Golston, if you're counting on well, so they have the Kalmasib washed out of already. There's nobody there. It's a one-man wrecking crew on defense for Shaq Barrett. And I just love the, the story, too, of just coming out of nowhere and having this huge impact. So I'm sticking with him as my defensive player of the year at the midpoint. I'm still very proud of you, Shaq Barrett, and I hope you have just as good a second half of the season as you did a first half for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At Offensive Rookie of the Year, I went through two uh, rookie skill position players, uh, Josh Jacobs, running back for the Raiders. He is arguably the centerpiece of that Raiders offense. And Terry McLaurin, the bright spot on what has been an atrocious season in Washington for the Redskins. Terry McLaurin is already looking like the best wide receiver in this 2019 draft class period, but quarterback is still queen on the chessboard, and no rookie quarterback has been playing better football than the Fu Minshew, Gardner Minshew. I am sticking with Gardner Minshew as my Offensive Rookie of the Year at the midway point. Who do you have for your Offensive Rookie of the Year at the midway point, Hal Bent? Oh, well, you already mentioned that I have Jacobs, Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. I think that, you know, hard-charging running style, just has opened up the passing game and let John Gruden, you know, unwrap some of those pages in his offensive playbook that he hasn't pulled out in 15, 20 years for all I know. But I think you look at his impact as a rookie, not just the five yards per rush average, uh, but just opening up everything for Derek Carr, taking some of that pressure off where teams just can't key off on that passing game. Play action opening the game up for those tight ends underneath, being able to incorporate the Hunter Renfro and the Darren Waller into that offense. I I think he's just had such a huge impact on that offense. I have to go with him as the offensive rookie of the year. There is a case for Josh Jacobs there as well, Hal. It's hard to disagree with you there. And uh, for defensive rookie of the year, no brainer for me, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, if uh, he would have gotten this honor, he would have gotten my defensive player of the year honor. I just couldn't uh, ignore Stephon Gilmore and what he's been to that new legion of boom, dare I say, in New England, or uh, no-fly zone, or whatever you want to call it in New England, Gilly Lock at that Patriots secondary. That That's the heart and soul of that Patriots defense, and I just couldn't ignore Stephon Gilmore's accomplishment but you got to go with Nick Bosa for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Look at how he played last Sunday. He showed you why. Three sacks and a J.J. Watt-type interception. My goodness, this guy just shows why he is not only Joey's younger brother, he shows why he was the best prospect in last year's draft class period, and the 49ers are rolling in large part because of his addition to that talented and eight-man deep defensive line. Nick Bosa, Defensive Rookie of the Year. What say you, Hal? Yeah, I, I've got to agree, David. When the 49ers got Bosa, I thought, you know, talk about the, the rich getting richer. They're already strong up front. And we've seen this year what that addition is. It has made what could be a very good defense into a great, great defense. On one hand, he comes with all those expectations. And on the other hand, he's met every single one of them. Seven sacks at the midseason. Uh, He's in the backfield all the time, tackles for loss, quarterback hits. He's at the top of the charts for this team, which is so strong defensively, especially in that front seven. Uh, no-brainer, Nick Bosa. I've got to agree with you 100%. The Saponico Alert is celebrating there. And for Comeback Player of the Year, 
Let's see if we're simpatico here. I'd go with the guy you mentioned in your Week 8 takeaway, Cooper Cup, man. Cooper yes, Cup, yes. after that torn ACL last year, the Rams offense was not the same. And it still isn't the same because Todd Gurley isn't the same Todd Gurley. But Cooper Cup still gives that offense life every week. And not only has he come back and picked up right where he let off, left off, He's playing better than ever. He is now in the top five in receiving yardage, and he's on track to finish with, like, uh, north of 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns by the season's end. Cooper Cup, easily my comeback player of the year at the midway point. Simpatico alert, Al? Simpatico alert going off loud, loud, loud over here. One of my favorite players to watch. You see somebody who works so hard, who's so fundamentally sound. He's just a joy to watch. And now in the second half of the season with Brandon Cooks, you know, again with concussion injuries, he's had so many of them. You have to worry about what his impact's going to be. So even more pressure for Cup to step up. And he certainly did last week. And I expect him to do that as well. The comeback player of the year for the second half of the year as well. Coach of the year. Who is your coach of the year at the midseason point, Hal? You know, I don't want to sound like a homer here, but, you know, almost 70 years old, doing this in New England for 20 straight years. He's got to step back in with no defensive coordinator. His de facto defensive coordinator left for Miami. He had brought in his pal who bailed out in the preseason. Uh, Bill Belichick stepping up with the most Bill Belichickian defense we've seen. It's like he went back in time to 1986 with his New York Giants back in the 3-4 and just destroying teams week after week, just keeping that Patriot Express rolling. I'm going with Bill Belichick, who somehow never wins Coach of the Year, it seems, as Coach of the Year. There is a case for Hoodie. There is a case for Kyle Shanahan. There's a case for Sean Payton. But I have to go with my man, Frank Reich. Frank Reich is where coaching in the NFL should be going in the future. He is as aggressive as aggressive can be. No matter where you have the ball on the field, if it's fourth and short, you go for it. If making the fourth down helps you win the game, more from an analytics point of view. And Frank Reich, he just has kept that team more than a folk. He has kept that team thriving. In the wake of Andrew Luck's recovery, getting the absolute most out of the players on both sides of the ball. And even on down days, they just fight hard to the very end. And Frank Reich just has the Colts headed toward a very bright future, even in the wake of Andrew Luck's retirement, no matter how the season ends. Frank Reich, kudos to you. Uh, the head of the division-leading Indianapolis Colts, currently at 5-2. and two. Frank Reich, you are the coach of the year at the mid-season point. Hard to argue with that one, David. I mean, what a great stroke of luck for Indianapolis to have Frank Reich, who wasn't even on their initial coaching list when they tried to hire Josh McDaniels, and that fell through, and to have him fall into their lap and just be the perfect fit. And, you know, as Philadelphia has floundered, we've talked this year as well, maybe the loss of Frank Reich uh, has a little bigger impact on that Philadelphia offense and team in general over there as well. So I love your choice. I applaud you on that one, David. Great choice of Frank Reich. We talked about that indeed. And uh, Frank Reich is going to be a very, very good coach, if not great coach in the NFL for many years to come. I could just see it. And for assistant coach of the year, I'm going to have to go with the architect of that 49ers defense in Robert Sala. Uh, Michael Lombardi, in his weekly column for The Athletic, 
uh, this week. He said that there were calls for Kyle Shanahan to fire Robert Sala after last season, but Kyle Shanahan just remained true to himself, and he stuck with Robert Sala, and just adding a piece like Nick Bosa made a very talented yet underachieving defense go from good to great, but you got to credit Robert Sala as well, because that secondary has struggled mightily these past two years, and yes, uh, the defensive front might hide some of their weaknesses, but that secondary has been playing a lot better than most of us expected them to play this year. Robert Sala has done an excellent job with this defense from front to back. He is my assistant coach of the year, and he could quite possibly be a hot name for a head coaching job in 2020. Hey, David, we've got the simpatico alert going here as well <laughs> on this one. You know, I thought about him at the, the quarter poll when we talked about the, the awards, and I thought, oh, he was terrible last year. This is They're going to turn into a pumpkin. It's a small sample here. And, you know, just being able to watch him and the, uh, you know, the way that these players play for him on this defense as well. And you see him on the sidelines, animated, energized. This team is on defense has completely bought into the Robert Sala energy, enthusiasm, style. Um, what, a, what a command performance, especially as you talked about with that, you know, the way that it fell and thudded and rolled down the stairs and out the door last year on defense. Right now it's flying high. Such an impressive job of turning this around by Robert Silas. So definitely my assistant of the year here at the midseason. And now it's time to play our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game goes. And we start in Chicago. If the Bears continue to implode, both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy should be fired. Truth or exaggeration? Truth that they should be fired, exaggeration in that, I don't think they're going to be. Uh, I think they get another year here. They were too close last year. There's too much talent around that team. And uh, they. so I'm going to lean towards exaggeration as much as I believe, yes, they should. That'll be a very interesting situation to watch the rest of the season. And we go to Flora Park, New Jersey and the Jets, where the relationship between Jamal Adams and the Jets has suffered irreparable harm because of Joe Douglas's attempts to field trade offers for him behind his back. Truth or exaggeration? Truth. I mean, you get a player like Jamal Adams, who is just a, simply a joy to watch on the, the field. I mean, whether it's they're losing 50 to nothing or the game's tied in the fourth quarter, he brings the same energy, enthusiasm, leadership, and not only that, but on the field, he's the general, he's smart, he's aggressive, he's the complete package, he's the kind of player that you build around and that you go back to other teams and say, this guy is as untouchable as any untouchable can be. And now the Jets, who came in with such high hopes this year, I don't think they can fix that relationship. I think Adams is going to be gone in the offseason. They're just not going to have a choice at this point. And back to square one in New York, and they're going to be following that Dolphins rebuild here, it looks like, with just Sam Darnold hanging around. Sam Darnold and Quinn Williams, to be exact, but uh, you pretty much get the idea there. And from <laughs> one rebuilding team to another, we go to the Queen City in Cincinnati, where in the offseason, the Bengals should try to trade Andy Dalton, who they just benched, for Ryan Finley. They should try to trade Dalton for a second or third round pick in the offseason before they release him. Truth or exaggeration? 
total truth. Andy Dalton was not the problem with the Bengals this year. I thought he's actually considering, you know, the pressure he's been under constantly, the number of times he's been sacked, hurried, still playing far behind without A.J. Green and digging, trying to dig himself out of a hole week after week. I think he's played very well comparatively given what he has around him. I thought he's He's played very well. I've been impressed by his toughness and ability to stay the course. So, yes, I think Cincinnati, if you were going to make the change, you should have looked into trading him at midseason, let alone waiting until the offseason. But, yes, they definitely should look into trading him because somebody is going to scoop him up. There's still a lot of solid passes there in the arms of the Red Rifle. I believe there are as well, and if you put him on a team with a good ecosystem around him, I think he could help that team tremendously still. And I love to harp on the poor officiating product this year, and we go to the rule that was inspired by so much controversy at last year's NFC Championship game. And this new pass interference challenge rule is worthless and will be scrapped before next season. Truth or exaggeration? Truth, 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 truth. It's very, very clear that this pass interference call was pushed through by the owners who were so horrified by what happened in the NFC championship game and probably rightfully so. But beyond that, clearly the NFL and the officials want no part of this and are actively working to make sure that this rule is undermined and quietly slipped away in the off season, never to be heard of again. The Tennessee Titans, who are winners of two straight after that disaster showing in Denver, should re-sign Ryan Tannehill regardless of what their 2020 draft plans are at quarterback. Truth or exaggeration? Well, <laughs> re-sign him for under $15 million a year. Truth over that dollar amount? Exaggeration. I think Ryan Tannehill is pretty much what Ryan Tannehill has proved to be. If you can put him in a clean pocket, he can play quarterback as well as anyone. And if you put the slightest bit of pressure around him, he's going to fold up like a deck of cards. I think he's a wonderful placeholder for Tennessee. If they can get a young quarterback here in the first round and uh, build around, give him a year or so to get into the system with Tannehill there ahead of him, but I certainly would not be getting in any bidding war for Ryan Tannehill or overextending myself and hurting my cap numbers. So it's kind of a half-truth, half-exaggeration there. It's the best I can come up with. This, I believe, is a slightly easier decision, if not much easier. The Broncos should release Joe Flacco after this season and make 2020 mainly about helping Drew Locke become successful by building the nest, so to speak, around him. Truth or exaggeration? Well, the only exaggeration is they should release him tomorrow, David. Like, <laughs> why even play him at all this year? It's, uh, he's hurt. It's over. Are you going to bring him back in week 15 and throw him out there? Oh, no, no, no. Bye-bye-bye, Joe. You know, failed experiment. Focus on the future. The Broncos have got to start looking for that next quarterback. Again, um, maybe get Drew Locke back from injured reserve and, and see what he can do hopefully this year. But 
Um, otherwise, yeah, the focus is on the future, and Joe Flacco should become the past immediately. Truth, truth, truth. And speaking of Joe Flacco, his former team, now led by Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, host your New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football this week, and that is our game of the week. And with Nick Chubb running for 121 yards against the Pats last week, how ominous of a sign is it for the Patriots' defense going up against the electric Lamar Jackson and this run-centric Baltimore Ravens offense? It's a little bit of an alarm, but it's not a big alarm. That game uh, against Cleveland was one of those Bill Belichick games. David, you might remember one with no Sean Marino and your Denver Broncos. Totally. Bill Belichick just went back into the dime defense and said, if you want to run, you can run all day. I don't care. You're not beating me with your passing game. And I, I, there was a lot of that. I saw a lot of, Nickel, nickel, and especially dime coverage that Cleveland was running against on, or even on the early downs, and the Patriots were basically daring them to to run the ball most of that game. I don't think they're going to do that against Baltimore. You're going to see a much heavier front. You're going to see fewer defensive backs on the field, and we're going to see if that New England front seven, especially without Michael Bennett now, is really able to stand up in the trenches there and this is a great test for that defense I think and it's just going to be an exciting exciting matchup between uh, seeing a different style of offense that Baltimore brings yes and uh, that game plan Belichick had last week that was his game plan against the K-Gun in that that Super Bowl when he was Giants defensive coordinator just dropping like eight or nine guys back into coverage saying "All right, we're taking away your passing offense Jim Kelly Thurman Thomas beat us Exactly. Totally. And the uh, and the diagrams that he drew for that game plan are on display at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I saw th- saw it with my own two eyes when I went to Canton this summer. It was uh, so surreal seeing that uh, in person. And uh, yeah, you alluded to a lot of what we should expect from this uh, Patriots defense. But is still is this Ravens offense the biggest challenge for this Patriots defense by far in this uh, 2019 season? Oh, not even close. I'm going to say Kansas City is probably the best offense they're going to face, but Baltimore is right behind that. You know, it's hard to argue with the, you know, they're coming in as the second highest scoring offense in the NFL right now. Lamar Jackson, he can beat you with his arm. He can beat you with his legs. Um, He's just been dynamic all season long. And they get Hollywood Brown back for this game as well. So that's certainly going to give him a reliable target in the passing game who's not a tight end, which is going to be a change for them as well. So I'm very, very excited to see Baltimore offense get a real test in this Patriots defense to see how they respond to this test this week as well. I completely agree, and uh, as we all know, Bill Belichick always makes offenses beat him with their weakest league, so as you perfectly said, expect the Patriots to stack the box early and often to try to take away the run, but that said, speaking of tight ends, that can leave an opening for the Ravens to exploit in the middle of the field with their stud second-year tight end Mark Andrews, and as we saw last week, the Patriots linebackers still struggle to cover tight ends, so they may have their hands full with Mark Andrews as well in that passing game, no? I, I think 
you know, if, if they go out there and try to cover Andrews with one of their safeties or one of their linebackers, I think they're going to run into a problem. I think if I'm the Patriots, I'm looking at Mark Andrews and saying, I'm just going to treat him like a big wide receiver. I'm going to throw your defensive player of the year for the first half on him in coverage and just treat him like a, a big wide receiver and say, you know, I, I got plenty of other cornerbacks to throw on Hollywood Brown and Willie Sneed. Uh, you know, I, I can put Gilmore on your best target. And that's something that Belichick has done in the past couple of years. Oh, God, it's got to be five or six years ago by now, back when Jimmy Graham was probably the most dynamic receiving tight end in the NFL in New Orleans. He did that with Aqib Tlaib and locked up Graham for that entire game in a, in a win. And he might just be dusting off that game plan this week. <laughs> There's our simpatico alert. I saw, yeah. I see the exact same thing happening of Bill Belichick putting Stephon Gilmore on Mark Andrews because uh, even with Hollywood Brown back, Mark Andrews is Lamar Jackson's favorite target in the passing game, not Hollywood Brown, and for good reason. Mark Andrews, he has the most rapport with Mark Andrews over these past couple seasons, and uh, Mark Andrews is a mismatch weapon that modern offenses love. And uh, the Patriots are going to do all they can to get Andrews away from Gilmore, but Bill Belichick is going to counter and make sure that that doesn't happen. So in terms of game-deciding matchups, I have Stephon Gilmore against Mark Andrews as arguably my game-deciding matchup for this Sunday night. What are some other matchups are you watching for in this game? Well, I think, you know, we talked about down in the trenches again, and, and that Baltimore offensive line, Ronnie Stanley, probably one of the best tackles nobody talks about. Orlando Brown, after his horrible combine testing that he had there, has turned into, looks like that was just a blip and gave the Ravens a great, great offensive lineman at a discount rate there. And then that interior of the offensive lineman, the ageless Marshall Yanda, who just year in and year out, just is just you can move him or move him to tackle, move him back to guard. It doesn't bother him. He just blocks everybody. So I, I'm looking at that Baltimore offensive line and this Patriots defensive line, which as a group has been great, but doesn't have that one guy that you 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 have to game for playing for and say, oh my God, this. This pass rusher, there's no bosses on that defensive line in New England. So are they going to be able to generate the pressure? Are they going to be able to hold up in the running game and stand stout? Or is that Baltimore offensive line just going to steamroll them? Oh, and especially with a magnificent running and improvisatory quarterback in Lamar Jackson, that Patriots front might be caught off guard several times. Oh, exactly. And, you know, and it's not just his, uh, you know, designed running plays as well, but then you have to look at, you know, when you are rushing the quarterback, you've got to maintain your your edges and, and your gaps as well while rushing the quarterback, which is very hard to do and maintain that discipline as well because he can get outside the pocket. And if they're playing man coverage down the field, there's a lot of open space in the middle of that field at that point. And who do you have winning Sunday night in the big Crab K in Baltimore? It's uh, hard to predict on this one i think it's going to be a great game but i actually have the ravens winning 24 to 21 and i'll talk a little bit more about that in my bold prediction Woo! the patriots fan going for the low expectations low disappointment strategy predicting the ravens to upset the patriots 24 to 20 i still do not bet against Bill Belichick, man, he is just too tough. And whenever young quarterbacks run at him, they struggle the vast majority of the time. I expect 
Uh, the Ravens, I do expect them to play hard and tough throughout the whole game. I think it's going to be very close, but the Patriots um, pull away at the end thanks to a turnover and interception, dare I say, by Stephon Gilmore, setting up for the game-icing touchdown. Patriots 27, Ravens 17, albeit that final touchdown comes rather late in the fourth quarter to put the game away. And now we move to our fantasy football waiver wire in our favorite game, Jabber Garbage. And we start with new Arizona Cardinals running back Kenyon Drake, who the Cardinals just acquired in a trade with the Miami Dolphins. And uh, yes, uh, David Johnson's not 100% and Chase Edmonds uh, has a hamstring that will not allow him to play tomorrow night against uh, the 49ers. And even though tomorrow night's game is a bad matchup, Kenny Drake might have a lot of opportunities in the future with this uh, Cardinals backfield. So, waiver wire, Jebber garbage for Kenyon Drake. Uh, Drake, I've got to go with the gem. And uh, again, that same caveat that you brought up, I don't want to play any of my running backs against that San Francisco defense, but he should get a lot of opportunity. And in that close Kingsbury uh, offense as well, I, as we saw with Edmonds before he got hurt, there is opportunity to shine there. There most definitely is. And we go to another running back that has been shining for the fish tank, Mark Walton. Waiver wire gem or garbage? Uh, I'm going to go with the gem on Walton as well. I mean, he's basically got the job. He's a running back one. That's what you're always looking for. And we know Miami, well, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. So they're not always going to be throwing the ball effectively they're gonna have to run the ball i think there's a lot of opportunity for walton he runs hard he's hard charging style and uh, i i like him there with miami i think he could be a waiver wire gem for you our man steely dad in new york looks like he's having a new favorite target as of late darius slayton waiver wire gem or garbage you know, he does look, you know, he's certainly picked it up, but, you know, he's kind of come out of nowhere as well. And, I, you know, I, I kind of have to hold back a little bit on this and say, you know, let somebody else pick him up, get the one reception for 11 yards when teams are keying on him. Uh, I think he's going to end up as a waiver wire garbage here. Uh, that is a good point, especially with all those other mouths to feed still in that offense. But if uh, Darius Slayton has another big game this Monday night against the Cowboys, all bets are off there. Obviously, DJ Chark, the AFC's leading receiver, he's getting a lot more attention these days, and that has created a void for Chris Conley to exploit. So Chris Conley, waiver wire gem or garbage? I'm going to go with the gem. I've always liked Chris Conley, you know, uh, whether it's been bad circumstances, lack of opportunity. I think he's a very talented receiver, and he seems to be making the most of that opportunity as Chark is definitely the wide receiver won there and getting a lot of attention and deservedly so. So uh, there's no Marquise Lee coming back. He's done. It's official. I'm going saying Conley, definitely a gem there. Ryan Tannehill, one of his best friends in the Titans passing attack, has been a tight end, but it's not Delaney Walker. It's Jonu Smith. And Jonu Smith was absolutely on fire this past weekend against the Buccaneers. So Jonu Smith, waiver wire gem or garbage? I think I've seen this story before. I believe it was just last year, the, the two touchdowns against the Patriots in the middle of the season, that one game. And then as brightly as he shone, he faded to darkness for the rest of the season as well and languished on my bench in fantasy football. So I'm going to have to stick to Jonu Smith as he's got a lot more to prove to me. He's got to string together some games and performances. So 
for right now, I'm keeping him in the garbage category. And now let's predict the rest of these weeknight games, starting with the Halloween night battle in the NFC West as the 7-0 49ers travel to the desert to take uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Halbet, um, what do you, how do you think this game pans out? You know, I, th- I think Arizona's going to be able to put a few points on the board, which is surprising against San Francisco, but eventually that defense is going to clamp down and offensively you just it's hard to stop that rushing attack in San Francisco and i see the 49ers rolling to 8 and 0 with a 24 to 14 win i have it a little bit more low scoring than that but i agree the 49ers they're going to just run the ball all night until they puke. They're still not going to have Joe Staley back in the lineup for this game, and that means they're going to protect their offensive line by running the football all the time, so Chandler Jones doesn't have a chance to impact the game. 49ers 20, Cardinals 6. And we have another breakfast game from London on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time to celebrate daylight savings time, folks, so turn those clocks back. The Texans and the Jaguars face each other in an AFC South clash, and I actually see a very high-scoring game here, man. The Texans not having J.J. Watt for the rest of the season, that kills their defense, and it drops their defense down to arguably the bottom 10 in the league, because outside of Whitney Merciless on that front, who, who, do, you, who do you have that could impact the game? Nobody. And that secondary is just decimated with injuries, and yes, the Jaguars are going to miss Jalen Ramsey, I'd expect Deshaun Watts to have a big game too, but it's all going to come down to which defense can make a game-deciding play, and I trust the Jaguars in that front far more than I do the Texans without J.J. Watt and that banged-up secondary right now at this point. Jaguars of the Fu Manchu, 35 to 31. Uh, David, I, I agree with you. Uh, not quite as high scoring as that, I don't think, but I can even simplify it even more. The game's in London. The Jaguars are going to win. Jacksonville 27, Houston 24. The Buffalo Bills, after an abysmal showing in the win at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, they have a get well game against. The worst run franchise, not just in the NFL, but in pro sports, the Washington Redskins. I think the Buffalo Bills win rather easily 23-10. to 10. Yeah, I, I think it's an easy win for them as well. Um, I'm not sure they'll get on track on offense as much, but I don't see Washington getting the ball in the end zone against that Bills defense. I have it 17-3 to 3 for Buffalo. The Kansas City Chiefs said there is still a chance Patrick Mahomes could play this weekend, but if not this weekend, then he could very well play next weekend. So we might have to make two separate predictions for this game. One that with Patrick Mahomes playing, the other with Matt Moore playing. But... Uh, still, the Chiefs' defense, yes, uh, you can point to some of the sacks they had on Aaron Rodgers last week, but that was because uh, Devontae Adams was missed in those uh, situations last week. And uh, their performance against the Broncos was more of an aberration than a trend. And with uh, a balanced offense, with Dalvin Cook and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen uh, coming to town, I think that's way too much for the Chiefs to handle. And plus, uh, their offensive line, uh, the offensive line of the Chiefs, that is, still isn't healthy yet, going up against the best pass rush to the NFL this year and Everson Griffin adds Neil Hunter way too much. Vikings come out of Arrowhead with a victory 27-20. to 20. Yeah, I've got it a little high scoring, but I'm feeling the same way as well. Jeez, I, I feel crazy picking against the Chiefs at Arrowhead, either with Mahomes or without and, and I'm praying, please let Mahomes get healthy. Don't rush him back this week. Give the man time to heal. Don't listen to the player. Listen to the doctors. You know, you're still going to make the playoffs there. Nobody's challenging you coming out of that quagmire, the AFC West Kansas City. Uh, you know, 
play it safe right now. And with or without Mahomes, I see Minnesota doing just enough, 34 to 31. The toilet bowl of the week, the clown show that is the New York Jets traveled to South Beach to take on the fish tank and the Dolphins, who've actually been playing pretty solid football as of late. But that said, uh, this is not a game the Dolphins want to win in their take for Tua or bust for Burrow mission. They are not going to want the Jets to get an upper hand on them for the first pick. Oh, why didn't I think of this? The Jets don't even need a quarterback. But at the same time, you can't risk falling behind the Jets and the Bengals. And you don't want to give the Bengals the opportunity to take the quarterback they want out of them. And the Jets aren't going to want to trade with you to make you better. So this still is a game the Dolphins are not going to want to win. So Sam Darnold and the Jets take it in an ugly, relatively low-scoring 21-10 to 10 game. Yeah, I'd like to pick Miami, but uh, I don't know, you know. Um, I think the Jets are sitting there and saying, geez, are we going to be able to get Chase Young at three? Maybe we should try to lose this game. But I see Miami, hey, let's have a replay here. Miami cuts the lead to one, 17-16 with five seconds left. And goes for two, and uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, under orders, throws the ball into the 10th row of the stands. Jets 17, Miami 16. Oh, that is a very fair prediction there, Hal. And the uh, imploding Chicago Bears traveling to Philly to take on the rejuvenated Eagles coming off that dominating win at Buffalo. This game isn't going to be even close. The Bears are going to get crushed in this game, and the calls to fire Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are going to grow even louder after the Eagles wallop the Bears 31-10. to 10. Oh, wow. That's a bold prediction there, David. I think the Bears are going to keep it a little bit closer. I think the defense is going to give some fifth to Philadelphia. It'll be a close game. I'm going with the home team as well, but 20-17 to 17 for the Eagles. But, hey, with these teams, who knows who's showing up? Yeah, and if you like old school football, you're probably going to love this game. The Indianapolis Colts traveling to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers, where it appears the Steel Curtain might be coming back. Indeed, indeed. I'm so impressive with the Steelers losing Ben Roethlisberger and not letting it, you know, it may be a lost season, but they're turning this season into a clawback towards 500 and that defense coming on strong. They may even be pushing for a playoff spot by the end of the year, the way that that defense is playing and the growth of Mason Rudolph there. Oh, oh! you, you said so last week, and I could definitely see it happening, especially in an inconsistent AFC North division. That said, the Steelers are very banged up at running back for this game. James Conner has that sprayed AC joint. Benny Snell has also heard Jalen Samuels is not going to play, leaving just one healthy running back on the roster. And I, I even forgot his name for crying out loud, man. I just <laughs> got to familiarize myself with all these depth charts going forward. But uh, I think that might be enough for the Colts to pull out an other ugly win. They're going to get it by just constantly pounding that rock behind Quentin Nelson and that offensive line. And there were some holes exposed in that Steelers defensive front with uh, Stefan Tuit out for the year. And I and I do expect this Colts offensive line to exploit those differences and have a much better showing this week. It's going to be ugly and low scoring, but the Colts pull out a 17-13 victory at Heinz Field. Yeah, I've got it a little bit higher scoring than that. And, and I really, you know, would like to have seen Pittsburgh. I really wanted to pick them as an upset special here, but I 
I, Indianapolis just too solid on both sides of the ball. Indy goes into Pittsburgh, 24-17 to 17 win. The Kyle Allen Show had a back-to-reality moment against the 49ers last week as they returned home to take on a Tennessee Titans team that is on a two-game winning streak. But that said, the Tennessee Titans have been one of the most inconsistent teams this season. And they got, you have to admit, they got lucky against the Chargers. And to a degree last week against the Bucks, it, it, an inadvertent whistle. If it weren't for that inadvertent whistle, that would have been a... A fumble return touchdown on that blocked field goal and the Bucks could have won the game. But that said, I expect the Panthers to bounce back uh, and win this one. It's going to be an ugly low-scoring defensive game, but I think Ryan Tadhill turns back into a pumpkin in this one. Panthers 20, Titans 17. Yeah, I've got an even easier win for Carolina here as well. I, I think it's a nice bounce back game for them. 24-13 to 13 over the Titans. This is going to be a very interesting game in Oakland as the Raiders return home to the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum for the first time since September in their final season in Oakland as they play host to Matthew Stafford, who's arguably playing the best football of his career right now, and the Detroit Lions. And the Raiders coming off a heartbreaking loss on the road at Houston. And this is going to be a very, very close, relatively high-scoring game. But Matthew Stafford, I just can't bet against him against this Raiders defense that is uh, still struggling right now. And the Lions defensive front is going to be the hardest front this Raiders offense has faced in several weeks. And I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Lions pull off a 24-20 victory in Oakland. I mean, this is like like we said, it's a it's a coin flip here because we've got Detroit, who seems like they're snake bitten, and then Oakland. Every time I turn around and believe in them, is when they go and drop the game. So when I pick against them, they win. When I pick for them, they lose. So I'm going to go Oakland 24-23. That's the way the coin landed. The Seattle Seahawks maybe six and two, but they didn't look too good in the second half against Atlanta last weekend, and they travel home to take on a Buccaneers team that feels robbed of a victory in Nashville. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one here. You know, Tampa Bay at 2-5 and five is playing much better than that record would indicate there. And with Bruce Arians leading that offense, you know, you know there's going to be some wrinkles there for a Seattle defense, which isn't as strong as Seattle defense is in the past. So this could be a very interesting interesting matchup. And this is my upset special of the week. I picked the Bucks Ooh. as an upset special over the Rams in week four and they got it done. I think the Seahawks, the way they're playing as of late, I think they played out of the competition again and end up losing a 27-24 high-scoring affair to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. So Bucks 27-24 over the Seahawks in Seattle as my upset special. Woo, that is a bold one. I wish I had that kind of upset special, to, but I just can't pull the trigger, David. I've got Seattle 23-20 to 20 over the Bucks, but it is going to be close and ugly. Yeah, well, this game is going to be uglier. The massive disappointment that is the Cleveland Browns, they travel to Denver to take on the now-rebuilding Denver Broncos. I think it's safe to say they're rebuilding regardless of what happens with Chris Harris Jr. in the offseason because they, Blacko is likely to be put on IR and they're going to see Brandon Allen and Drew Locke for the rest of this season and likely into next season as well. So the rebuilding Broncos against the Browns, this is going to be low-scoring, 
It's going to be ugly. Keep in mind, Vic Fangio still has this Broncos defense with spare parts for crying out loud playing very, very good football. And I think Baker Mayfield and the Browns offense continue to struggle against this defense. But at the end, that mismatch between Miles Garrett and whether it be Garrett Bowles at left tackle or Elijah Wilkinson at right tackle, uh, he's just going to feast and he is going to make two strip sacks of Brandon Allen that set up the Browns for a couple of short scoring drives and out of the difference in an ugly 16-6 to Browns victory. Oh, I agree. It's going to be an ugly one, no doubt about that. But you know what? I I, I just can't see Cleveland putting the pieces together at this time. And, and probably the best thing for the Browns is to continue to expose that Freddie Kitchens is just not ready to be a head coach in the NFL right now. I think he'd be a great offensive coordinator for some teams, but not a head coach. And I have Denver pulling out the win at home 16-10 to 10 over the Browns. And I will say this, if the Browns lose on Sunday, I would fire Freddie Kitchens on Monday if I were John Dorsey, and I am not joking. You have to end this Kitchens experiment as soon as possible. It's been a disgrace. I agree. He should have been, you know, the the clear path for the Browns was to say, whoever is our head coach, we're putting in Freddie Kitchens as offensive coordinator. We're not changing the offense, but we're not bringing back Greg Williams either. And you're going to have complete control of the team and the defense, and but just leave Freddie in charge of the offense because everything's clicking there. The Chargers got outchargered by the Bears at Soldier Field last Sunday, but they returned home, and that's home in quotation marks, to face the Green Bay Packers in front of a group of fans that will likely be 80% Packers fans uh, down in Carson. And the Packers, uh, not only did they uh, beat the Chiefs in a hard-fought game last week at Arrowhead, they, get, they likely get Devontae Adams back this week for crying out loud. That is just way too much for a struggling Chargers team to overcome. Packers uh, win a 27-17 to game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I wanted to pull the trigger on the upset special on this one, and then I just looked at and I said, oh, the Chargers being the Chargers. It's just, you know, ugh, they've lost three out of four, and they had no business winning last week. That should be four in a row. Uh, I can't pick against the Packers at this point either, so I have Green Bay winning it pretty handily. 34 to 17 over the Chargers. And last but not least on Monday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys fresh off a dominating win over the Philadelphia Eagles and one bye week later traveled to the Meadowlands to take on our man Steely Dad, who had a pretty good game against the Lions last week, and the New York Giants. And I'll tell you what, the Cowboys have been grossly inconsistent as well this year, and they grossly underestimated Sam Darnold, and I think they're making a very similar mistake with Daniel Jones. I think this game is going to be much closer than people expect, but Daniel Jones is not as good as Sam Darnold, so the Cowboys still win, but it's going to be a much closer game, 28-21. to yeah, I, I think the Giants will keep it close, uh, maybe for a half or so, but there's just too much too much talent in Dallas on both sides of the football. I think they'll pull away in the second half, and we'll see it turn out to be a pretty easy win, 34-20 to 20 over the Giants. And now it's time for our Week 9 Bowl predictions. What you got, Hal? So I picked the Ravens over the Patriots here. That's my, my upset special, my bold prediction here. The Ravens are going to be the first team to score more than 20 points against the Patriots. But the way that they do it, it's not going to be through running the ball. It's going to be Lamar Jackson and his arm throwing for three touchdown passes, one to all three of his dynamic tight ends there. I see New England coming back, a chance to tie it 24-21. to 21. 
time ticking down at the 20-yard line, and Nick Folk comes out to kick a field goal. Wide right, game over, Baltimore. That is a bold prediction, Hale, and this is my bold prediction, and you tell me whether or not this is bold. Deshaun Watson throws for 350-plus yards and three touchdowns, but he is outdueled by the Fu Minchu as Gardner Minshew throws for 400-plus yards and four touchdowns in a 35-31 Jaguars victory over the Texans in London on Sunday morning. Oh, I'll call that a bold prediction. Indeed, I'd love to see it. Nice and bold. Yeah, and especially with uh, Nick Foles slated to come off IR the next couple weeks, Gardner Minshew is likely to use this game as uh, his uh, last best chance to say, do not bench me, do not bench me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they should bench him regardless, but still uh, can't take anything for granted in the NFL. And now, last but not least, we do our challenge flags, and I'll go first here. My challenge flag goes to Andy Reid. Andy Reid or Matt Nagy, Rich Scangarello, or whatever offensive coaches made timid decisions last week in terms of play calling in crunch time. If you have a fourth and short anywhere on the field, trailing, and with three minutes left in the game, go for it. Do not play not to lose. You play to win the game. What say you, Hal? Uh, my bold prediction goes back to what we talked about. I mean, my challenge flag goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, and that is these inconsistent squads. I want to call them all out. Oakland, Buffalo, Detroit, Chicago, the Rams, the Chargers, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Dallas even, Philadelphia. Figure it out. Somebody figure it out. I don't know what's going on with these teams week to week. It's driving me crazy with this lack of consistency, blame the collective bargaining agreement, the lack of practicing, the lack of padded practices. I don't know what it is, but figure it out. My challenge goes to those teams. Get your act, get in gear, and gear up for the playoffs. And and at least a couple of your teams come storming into the playoffs, and let's give us one of those great, great postseasons here. you got one half of the season down. And it's time to figure it out. Figure it out is our final Halloween message to all those inconsistent teams that Hal Bet. And he is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBet01 and catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com or if you're a Patriots fan at MusketFire.com. Thank you as always for joining us, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview week 10 of this 2019 NFL season. So stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrob 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome and have a happy and safe Halloween. <laughs>